Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be in this house, in this place today. Lord, we pray uh, that your spirit will speak to our hearts now as we make determinations about the year ahead and about our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start today with the words of Jesus. So if you want to take the Bible there in front of you and turn to Mark chapter 12, that's where we're going to start today, Mark chapter 12, and we're going to jump in at verse 28, and we read these words, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he here is Jesus, seeing that he answered, that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now again, just so you have the context here, this is happening in the New Testament, and he's quoting, and in your New Testament, you'll see the word Lord there. But what he's literally quoting from the Old Testament is, hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. That's literally what he's quoting the passage. So again, it's the name of God. Why does that matter? Well, you remember in the Old Testament context, it was, it was polytheism. To just say God didn't have a singular meaning like it tends to have to us. That could have meant anything. And God very clearly revealed himself by his name to Israel. So Jesus is quoting the passage, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one, and you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. <clears throat> so we're starting this year with just kind of a little short series here. We're going to go again next week on this same topic, but uh, entitled Determinations. It's a, it's a word kind of like resolutions, but, but I think sometimes the cliche words, we, we kind of forget, we lose their larger meaning. <clears throat> a determination is, is deciding what you will do and then making sure you do it. We do this all the time. We make determinations as we go along. When we stand in front of our refrigerator, we make a, a determination, I'm gonna eat that. And then we take the steps required to eat that. We can do that with our own lives, and we do that with our lives. Sometimes we fall into these things by default, but there are those times when it's useful to step back and say, how do I really want to be? What do I wanna do? We talked about this last Sabbath, and we, we listed a few things that we would be determined to do, but you could kind of summarize the whole thing in the context of saying, we determined last Sabbath to have no other gods before Yahweh, the God of heaven, the God who created the heavens and the earth, that we would put no other gods before him. But I want to push that concept a little further today, and in fact, these words of Jesus do that for us. It already pushes this concept. We could say from a, from a respect standpoint, I agree that there's no one above God. 
But that doesn't mean that I like him. It just means that I have in my mind conceded that that's probably true. But the words today take us a little further. We're not just to make him first, but we are actually to love him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Now that sounds pretty intense. And there are certain personality types among you that love intensity. So, so this is for you. Go strong. The command here is for an intense relationship between you and God. But whether that's your nature or you're more, more staid or more careful by nature, regardless, the command is the same and it's to all of us. And it is the command to which Jesus attaches the title, the greatest commandment. Now, if I were to ask you, where are the Ten Commandments in the Bible? How many of you could tell me? Where are the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20. Yeah, that's an easy one, right? And there's actually two places, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the other one? Deuteronomy 5. Very good. If I asked you, where is the greatest commandment, who could tell me? That's funny, isn't it? You, some of you might know it, but we don't know it as easily. We know the location of the 10, but do you know where this commandment, and in fact, both of them, the greatest and the second one that is like it, do you know off the top of your head where it's found? Well, I actually read it to you two weeks ago as we were working through some of this material. It's in Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six, which interestingly comes right after Deuteronomy 5, which is the second giving of the Ten Commandments. But here's where it's found, and I want to read this greatest commandment to you, but I'm going to give it to you in context, and we're going to talk about a couple things before we literally get to it, because the context is very interesting here. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear Yahweh your God, you and your son and your son's son, so this is to be generational, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, now let's step back from this for just a second here. This is Israel and they're on the brink of moving into the promised land, the land that God has given them. And he's saying, when you get to the land, this is how you need to live. Now let's reflect on this a minute. Here's God giving law, giving commandment. Why is he doing it? Well, first of all, is he doing it so that he can deliver them from Egypt? No, that's kind of silly, isn't it? Because no, they've already been delivered, right? 
This is a very important point to note. God does not give law prior to deliverance. He gives law after deliverance. Why? Well, because once you're delivered, he doesn't want you to fall back into the traps. So he brings deliverance, and then he gives law. Now, is this just sort of an arbitrary law to test them, to say, okay, I brought you out, now you owe me. Go into the land and do this, or else. Is that the nature of the law, or is it something else? Did you notice the words in here while I was reading it? Verse 2, it says, that you may fear Yahweh your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Now, this doesn't mean that your days may be boring. That's not what it's saying here. What it's saying is so that you will live a long time and so that your family will go on and so that, that all of this good reality will be extended. He fleshes it out more in the next verse. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised. So, so why did he give them this law? Because he says, if you will do these things the way I have described them, if all of you as a people will live in this way, you'll live, you'll live long lives, things will go well in your culture and society, and you will multiply greatly. That's the promise that goes with the behavior. So you see, the Ten Commandments, they're, they're given, they're the formula, they're the roadmap to societal prosperity. They're not the way to be saved. They're the way to have a good life. They're a way for society to function well and smoothly. And so just think about it. If everyone in society did the things contained in the law, there's no question that society would prosper greatly. But here's reality. It doesn't happen because we're all like Israel. We want to do our own thing. I'm really happy for everybody else to do, but I want to do my own thing. And so what happens? Society suffers. It, it, it frays. It, it falls apart. It doesn't have to be this way. Life does not have to be this, this, this uh, well, let, let's say it this way because sometimes life is hard. But let's say it this way, in the context of the larger culture, it doesn't have to be a mess. We don't have to live in a world where people steal. It's not required. But we do. We don't have to live in a world where you have to lock your doors. But we do. We don't have to live in a world where, where women would be afraid to walk by themselves in certain places in the dark at night. It doesn't have to be that way. But it is. Because we don't do this. Now, no one of us alone can change it. But each of us alone can make decisions about our own lives. And the more of us that make those decisions, the more of a change can take place.
but it doesn't happen well by force. Now, we'll actually address this issue, how, how in fact God allows force to be applied to help us keep some semblance of order in a world where we tend to just kind of do, want to do whatever we want to do. But it doesn't happen in this, in this wholeness way by force. It can only happen when all of us determine for ourselves that we will... How should we say it? I think this is a term that's been used here before. Live love. Live love. It's a choice we all can make, but it is always a choice of, with, that comes with responsibilities. When I choose to live love, it comes with responsibilities. But let's get back to what I was reading you because what we're actually looking for here is the greatest commandment and we haven't actually read it yet. It comes next in our text, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So there it is. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five the greatest commandment in the law, according to Jesus. And if we were, in fact, keepers of this commandment, if we did, in fact, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might, I'll tell you what, the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments, it'd be pretty easy to keep, wouldn't they? It'd be pretty much automatic. Because what, you remember what those first, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, if I, love, if I love Yahweh with all my heart, I'm not gonna put anything else before him. Thou shalt not make graven images. Well, that's maybe a little different than our reality in our time, but very relevant in the time it was written. You wouldn't wanna do that. Uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, you absolutely wouldn't do that. If you loved him with all your heart and your soul and your might, you would never do that. And the idea of remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that'd be easy enough because you, you would know that God has given you a day off. You know, the world doesn't give you a day off, does it? But God gave you a day off. And you love him with all your heart and all your soul. These things would be pretty easy to do. So, so really, our first determination for today that we want to make is pretty simple, straightforward. And, and we know this should be a reality and it's determined to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our might. Now, interestingly, when you read this in Mark, he adds mind to it as well. Did I say mind? Which one? Yeah, he adds mind. So when you read it in, in Mark, it actually has four things that you're to love the Lord your God with, but, but the actual Deuteronomy one just has three. But I like the four. So think about it in that context. Your heart, this is, this is uh, emotionally laying hold of the reality of God's love for you and your love for him. Your soul, that, that essence part of your being that, that, that is kind of the whole of who you are. Your mind, the context of your thoughts and what you're pursuing and, and how you think is formed by God. And your might, you're actually using your physical abilities and strength to show love for God. 
So the first determination is pretty easy, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Well, I say easy. It's pretty obvious. Maybe that's the better word. But we need to determine to do that. If this is the greatest commandment in the law, we really ought to do this and work towards it. But it goes on. He says there's a second greatest commandment. And it's pretty simple too. It says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But here's what's interesting about this. So, so Jesus talks about these as the greatest commandments in the law. And you might think that that being the case, you would go to the Old Testament and there would be a place where, where God handed down the, the two greatest commandments in the law and they sit right next to each other and there's a big highlighted box around them. Actually, no, that's not how it is. The two things that Jesus picks out as the greatest commandments in the law don't exist together. The first one is in Deuteronomy 6. We just read that. But do you know where you would find you shall love your neighbor as yourself? If you get this one right, I'm really impressed. Do you know where that is? The second greatest commandment in the law? It's in Leviticus. When do we even ever read Leviticus? But in there is the second greatest commandment of the law. Now again, I'm going to work you into it because it doesn't stand out by itself. It's actually kind of given more as a conclusion. But I'm going to walk you into it. Leviticus chapter 19 is where you'll find this. Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 9. And this is a fascinating little, little section here. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am Yahweh your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your brother in your heart but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And then here we go. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Interesting, isn't it? This second greatest commandment in the law, but it just kind of appears as a summation at the end of a list of things. 
And it's interesting if you noticed as we read down through this list, you can see in this, uh, in, in, in this Leviticus 9, 19, 9 through 18, kind of a summation in a sense, or, or maybe not summation, maybe an expanding of the last six commandments, commandments six through 10, or five through 10, talking about our relationships with one another. Now, as you read through this, I'll, I'll tell you how it is for me. As I read through this passage, I would really like people to treat me this way. I would like it if, if nobody ever stole from me or if nobody ever dealt falsely with me or no one lied to me or they didn't oppress me or, or withhold things from me that were mine or do unkind things to me because I had a disability or they didn't lie about me in court. They didn't talk bad about me to others. I would love it if this is how people behave. Would you like that? Does this sound like a nice world to live in where people don't do those things? A place where hate didn't naturally build into violence? You know, that sounds really good to me. So why don't we do it? There's an interesting thing that happens in the world, and maybe you've observed this and you've seen it in different ways, and, and I guess one way to simplify it is to say, we tend to get into, sometimes we get into positivity cycles, but other times we get into negativity cycles. And what am I talking about? Well, let, let's start with the positivity cycle. Um, let's say that, uh, that I come home and Alicia's there and the first thing I do is say something very kind and affirming to her and then engage myself in some useful purpose at the house. I know, far-fetched, but it could happen. And then she sees that and says, oh, I appreciate that so much. So then she goes and, and makes my favorite thing to eat. Oh, and I love that, and that's so good. So then, then I agree to watch a movie with her, whatever she wanted to watch. And we're in the fictional zone here, but go with this. But this is a positivity cycle. You see how, how you, you do a kind thing, and then kindness, and, and, and it builds and builds, and that's great, but the problem is positivity cycles are fragile. It doesn't take much to derail it and then the thing collapses again. And you gotta start it again and, and try to build it. But then there's the other cycle, the negativity cycle. And unfortunately, it tends to be pretty rigorous. It's harder to break. And that is, I come home and, and because I was frustrated about something, I don't say something kind. I don't, maybe I don't even notice. And then the response is easy for it to be, well, he didn't even see that. And then and, 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 and hostility begins to develop and build. This is kind of where we are right now in our, in our political process as a land, aren't we? We're in massive negativity cycles right now in our, in our political process. We're just hostile. And how do you break it? How do you break out of it? 
It's interesting to me. Sometimes we read the Old Testament. You remember the laws in the Old Testament? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And we think, whoo, that's rough. Actually, God established that order to prevent the spiraling out of control of the negativity cycle. Because basically what that is saying is the punishment must not exceed the deed. But what we tend to do is if you hurt me, then I'm going to kill you. And if you get killed, then I'm going to kill this whole group. And you get the Hatfields and McCoy cycle that God was attempting to prevent. We, get these, we can get the positive cycles, but we can get the negative cycles. The problem with the negativity cycles is they can only be broken by determinations, by deciding we're going to break out of this, by choosing to forgive. So what are the, what are the boundaries here? Well, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could have a little discussion here today and choose for America to break out of its negativity cycles. That'd be great. We can't. We don't have the power to do that. We can't even do that for the state of Colorado or even for the whole city of Boulder. But we can each choose for ourselves that we're gonna invest in building the positivity cycles and we're gonna try to break the negativity cycles and if each of us chooses that for ourselves, then we as a group will bring transformation to the sphere we're in. How revolutionary would it be if we all determined to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and to love each other as ourselves. How revolutionary would that be? Now, we work at that and I think we do pretty well at it here and that's our goal and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. <clears throat> but if we continue to build on those determinations, the kind of transformation that can take place within a community, within relationships, can start a revolution. Paul understood a lot about all this. And he understood reality. And he understood how reality departs from the ideal. And, and in this, he's talking about this in Romans chapter 13. And we're going we're gonna to close with this passage. So, so those of you that are in the band, you can start making your way up here. We got a little ways to go, but you, you, know, you, you got time. So, so come on up here when you're ready. Romans chapter 13, we're going to read a few verses here. Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. This is a very misunderstood passage, and this is an abused passage that sometimes people in authority use to abuse others. But I want you to understand it in the context. He's addressing the reality of not living in a perfect world. So let me read it again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, 
and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, I don't think he's talking here about resisting against injustices and things like this on the scale of some of the things that we have the opportunity to address and fix in our own day and time. But what he is talking about is the reality that the world is full of people whose hearts are not given over to the Lord, who are not committed to loving one another, and who will kill you if they get the chance. That's the reality. And he's saying, therefore, God has not allowed anarchy to reign. So he's established government. And government's role is to maintain order. Now, think about it. Sometimes we chafe a little bit at the notion of that in the world we live in. But do you know Paul's talking about the Romans here? For all the curse that everybody thought the Romans were, Paul's saying, yeah, it would be worse without them. Just crazy to think, isn't it? That's how out of hand and wild everything gets. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. This is the force issue. Now, we don't want people to do good simply because they're forced. But if that's the only way they will, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that. If the only thing that's going to keep you from crashing your car into me because you drove on the wrong side of the road is because you're afraid of a ticket, I'll take it. If the only thing that's going to keep you from stealing my things, Gary, you know about this, is fear of the law, okay, I hope you're scared of the law. I'll take it. I would rather everyone obey from a heart that's good. But if you won't, all right, I'll take the law. I'll call the police. I'll take it. It's second best. It's not what I most want. But I thank God that it's there. And this is what Paul is addressing here. Verse 4, For he, the one in authority, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. just want to remind you, tax season is upon us. That's why we do it. Now, okay, yeah, I chafed a little the other day when I came in and we had a little notice on the door from the Boulder Police Department that was complaining that we had not completely cleared the sidewalks of snow. I guess that's a rule here. I thought I just had to clear the ones where people get into the building. But no, no, we've got this and this. And if we don't do it, I guess we probably get a fine at some point. So, yeah, it's annoying sometimes. But why? Well, actually, it's for the community good, isn't it? Because there aren't many sidewalks in this city that get more people walking on it than this one. And if we can keep it clear, then maybe they won't fall down. You see how it all kind of goes here. Verse 6, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owned. Now all of this, this whole section that Paul just wrote here, would be completely unnecessary 
if we all would just live by our own free will according to the commandments of God. All of those verses are unnecessary if we would just choose it. But we don't all choose it, do we? We don't all choose it. Therefore, God has established things to keep order. But, but that's just context. Now, here is where we truly end. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Paul is saying, we need to owe each other love. I owe you love. I owe you love. Why? Because you're, you're children of God. And I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. And I'm going to use that love for God to love the ones he loves. Verse 9, for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. There's so many implications to this, and we're going to flesh it out some more next Sabbath. But for, the, for today... Here's what I want you to determine. We already talked about determine, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here's the other one. Determined. Live love. Live love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? so that your days can be long on the land, so that your life can be good, so that you have no regret. Because God loves us and he wants the best for us. And this is how to have the best.